Today, you get a chance to hear from Nelson Tressler. This guy has been successful at almost anything that he has attempted in life. He was a national record-selling commercial real estate um, broker. He started many, many businesses, and all of them were very successful. He's basically your own personal Shark Tank guy. If you've got an idea, he knows how to make money doing it. And at the beginning of this episode, you get a chance to hear just how incredibly successful he is. But don't stop halfway through because you're going to think this guy had it all handed to him. And when you hear a little bit about his birth and his upbringing, it will floor you. And I'm not exaggerating when you hear how Nelson Tressler came into this world. So check out this interview with Nelson Tressler on this episode of Unbeatable. These stories of triumph over adversity will help you handle your toughest days in life and become unbeatable. Hey, Nelson, thank you for taking a little bit of time out of your schedule to be with me on this episode of Unbeatable. Yeah, thanks for having me, Jeff. I'm excited to have a good conversation with you. Yeah, my buddy Claire introduced me to your story and I was like, hold on, this can't be real. So I can't wait to get into it a little bit and for people to hear this incredible journey that you've had. Um, but I want people to learn a little bit about how impressive you have been as a leader, um, as a businessman, as an entrepreneur. So can we start there and then just work our way backwards? How does that sound? Yeah, no, that sounds great. Um, yeah, so I, I got into commercial real estate out of, uh, out of college, uh, got in with a top five firm uh, spent 20 years there, eventually became the top salesman worldwide several times uh, for that real estate firm. And then through that, it, it exposed me into a lot of uh, opportunities in into business. Uh, I, I opened a, a daycare chain, uh, ran those for a while, and then uh, eventually went into opening up uh, pet resorts ended up uh, building a, a chain, uh, one of the largest privately held chains in the country. Uh, was fortunate enough to exit that a few years ago. I've, I've been in a lot of different businesses. I mean, I, I worked my way through college uh, window cleaning. and uh, I just, For real? Yeah. You were cleaning windows uh, to pay your college tuition? Yep. And then actually yesterday, or excuse me, a Friday, we ended up uh, closing on uh, a chain of trampoline parks that we started uh, and, and operated for seven years and, and fortunately was uh, able to exit those last week. So lots of things out there. I've had a commercial rock yard. I've had uh, tanning salons. Uh, Wait a second. What is a commercial rock yard? You, you're selling rocks. Yeah. So um, I, I mean, you're Las not Vegas. growing them, right? You're just selling them. Right. We're just selling them. So I want to yeah. make sure we're talking about the the stones from the earth, not crack cocaine. Correct. 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 I'm in Las Vegas, so grass doesn't do great here in in the summertime. Uh -huh. So a lot of people use rocks uh, to decorate their yards, landscapers, and things. So. We opened up a commercial rock yard where all the landscapers come and, and buy rocks and and trees and that those sorts of things. You're like a serial entrepreneur. If you can sell trampoline parks, if you can sell rocks, if you can do dog parks and children's playground, uh, you know, childcare, you you basically can do it all, man. 
Yeah, I mean, uh, I, I don't know what's wrong with my brain, but uh, <laughs> I can pretty much monetize anything. And being in really? real estate for so long, it exposed me to so many different types of businesses. And, uh, you know, when I see that there's a, an opportunity out there to help people, um, you know, through a business and, and it makes financial sense, uh, I'm willing to, to get in there and get my hands dirty and, and start something new. Well, there's a bunch of listeners that just heard what you said. I can monetize anything. And they're thinking, this guy is my own personal shark tank. I got an idea. I'm going to sell him. Um, their ears just perked up when you made that statement. Great. Yeah, great. I love, hear, I love hearing ideas. So. <laughs> Let's go back to college. Why real estate? Why commercial real estate out of college? Was that something that you studied in school? Did you want to do that? Uh, absolutely not. I didn't even know what commercial real estate was, but I got into uh, kind of a bind my senior year to where I needed to take an internship. Weren't washing enough windows, couldn't pay the bills, right? I right. mean, everybody knows the starving college student, right. uh, exactly. what that feels like. And and I, I was getting a finance degree. I wanted to be a stockbroker or, or something. In, in, uh, in you were going to be the wolf of Wall Street. Yeah, exactly. Um, but uh, none of the none of those firms had a uh, internship available, and if I didn't get it, then I was going to have to push my graduation back uh, six months, and I didn't want to do that. I I was married, I had a child, you know, washing windows in Las Vegas, so I took any internship that I could get, and uh, you know, the counselor gave me a few things, and one of them was a commercial real estate firm. Didn't know what commercial real estate was. I, but I thought, you know what, maybe someday I'll, I'll own a couple rental houses. So maybe uh -huh. I can use it, use the experience that I got. But eventually uh, I got that internship uh, at, and then worked that for six months. And the guy that I got in with said, you should be doing this uh, for a living. You have a really for it. You yeah. sell. You have a passion to uh, help people. And he ended up hiring me uh, right out of uh, the internship and I graduated and went straight into it. Uh, it just occurred to me, you're washing windows in Las Vegas. Is that what you're telling me? I am. And uh, it's about as bad as, as you can I imagine. was going to say, I got to set the stage for the people that are living around the world and are listening to this because in they can't, they might not be able to imagine what is going through my mind right now. It is 130 degrees Fahrenheit in the summertime in Las Vegas. Nothing but dust and dirt and brutal desert temperatures. And you're out there with glass, with the sun reflecting off of glass, hitting you in the face all day long. That's how you're paying your way through school. That sounds like a brutal way to make a buck when you're in college, man. It, it was. Uh, I mean, I remember the on the hot days. You know, you, you're putting water on the on these big storefront glasses, and and before you can it, put the but it's dried before you can even get to the bottom of the window, right? To it, and oh, and then man. you know people don't realize, but it gets cold in Las Vegas in the wintertime, and now. Yeah. You're out there washing it and, you know, your hands are freezing. <laughs> and now you're freezing. Your hands are freezing because it's freezing cold in the scorching hot desert. Yeah, it definitely motivated me to get to get my degree and, and to get out of that business. Uh, yeah, well, I just I remember what it was what it was like walking through the hottest deserts on Earth and carrying a heavy load on my back. But I didn't have to stare the sun in my face as it reflected off of the glass 
eight hours, 12 hours a day, that would be miserable, man. Yeah, it, it, it wasn't any fun. But you know what? It served its purpose. Uh, it gave me the flexibility that I needed to yeah, go to sure. school. And, uh, you know, I, I was making more money per hour than I would have been making, you know, bussing tables or whatever uh -huh. else through college. So, yeah, it, it was tough, but I, I, I had a goal. I, I knew where I wanted to end up and, and it was a, you know, a means to an end. Yeah. Nelson, I think you're kind of selling yourself a little bit short. You said that you were the top salesman in the nation. Um, but I, I was doing a little bit of research, man. When you when you talk about selling, you sold a lot of commercial real estate, like a billion with a B, a billion dollars worth of real estate. Yeah. And I'm sitting there thinking to myself, did you sell somebody the Eiffel Tower? Did somebody buy the Taj Mahal from you? How do you sell a billion dollars worth of real estate, man? Yeah. And, and you know what? I didn't do the huge deals that were worth 50 or 60 million dollars. Uh, I did a lot of small mom and pa type deals in leasing and then selling smaller shopping centers. Wow. So it was it was a lot of a, a lot of small deals, but. I did a bunch of them uh, every year, uh, busted my butt, but uh, yeah, eventually uh, it, it all paid off. I was going to say, man, tell me that you sold this bridge that crosses into Manhattan in New York City. You're the quintessential, I sold the Brooklyn Bridge, that good of a commercial salesman. No, unfortunately, no, I, I didn't. I sold a lot of, uh, you know, unanchored small shopping centers with Ma and Paul tenants that I did the leasing for, but... You know, they weren't the big sexy deals, but at the end of the year, uh, it all added up to, uh, you know, make me a good living. Yeah, it sounds like uh, if you're make if you're selling a, selling a billion dollars worth of property, um, man, it honestly, it says that you love what you do. You're good at it and you love the people that you do it with or do it for because nobody is that successful if they don't really love what they're doing. Yeah, I mean, We've talked about some of the businesses that I started, uh, but, you know, I was helping other people do the exact same thing through commercial real estate and helping them find a spot or find a building or find some land to do it. So I had a passion for it myself and I knew what they were going through looking for the, this space, right. the shopping yeah. center. And so, you know, I, I woke up every single morning knowing that you know, I was going to help other people fulfill their dreams and their goals. And that's what gets you out of bed. If, if you don't have something like that, no matter how much money you make, you're not going to be happy, you know, going to work every single day. And, and of course, I had bad days. And of course, there were days sure. where I just wanted to ball up and stay in bed because things were going bad. But, you know, 99% of the time, I loved doing what I what I was doing and helping people and and couldn't wait to get to the office to, uh, you know, dig in uh, and, and start another day. Yeah, I think I need the people that are driving right now that miss that or the mom that's listening to this podcast while the children are clamoring for her attention to just lean in for a second and hear what you just said, because it's not about getting up and making a buck that doesn't get you motivated to give your best every day. It sounds like something else has to drive you. So can you hit that one one more time? 
for the people that just missed what you said, man? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if you don't love what you do, it doesn't matter how much money you make. And, and, And we actually see that every single day. You see these big celebrities or these sports yeah. stars that walk away from these huge, you know, paying jobs or uh-huh. CEOs. It's it's because it doesn't matter how much money is there. I mean, you'll work hard if you have to make some money at a job that you don't love. But once that once that's satisfied and if you don't love what you're doing, if you don't love, you know, getting up every single morning and, and doing that job, you're going to burn out or, right. or you're going to leave or you're going to quit. You've got to love what you do and don't stop until you do, because there's nothing more satisfying than getting up and, and being able to go to work and do what you love every single day. It doesn't and it doesn't feel like work. It feels like you're kind of cheating yeah. a little bit. It's like, really, they're paying me to to do this. And if you don't have a job right. like that, then keep looking for that job because it's out there somewhere. Yeah. What Nelson is saying right now is if you love washing windows, you can lay your head in the bed at night very, very proud of a hard day's work of doing something that you love. But if you hate washing windows, man, that is going to become a prison sentence. And it doesn't matter how much money they throw at you. It's going to start to feel like a prison sentence if you don't love what you do. Absolutely. Hey, so you transition from being extremely successful, like it's hard to describe just how successful you were as a commercial real estate guy. And then you transition into going out and doing your own thing. Would you describe for just a little bit what that transition felt like? Because I can't help but think it had to be a little bit scary for you stepping away from that massive success to to go out and to do your own thing. Yeah, it was it was it was horrifying. I mean, uh, to walk away from something that you have done for 25 years at a very high level that was providing, you know, a great income for me and my family. uh, It it definitely uh, was scary. But, you know, you realize that what you're put on this earth to do. And uh, although I I feel like I helped a lot of people in commercial real estate and fulfill their dreams and their goals in, in that genre, uh, I, I felt like I was put on this earth for something else. And and that was to help people, you know, fulfill their goals and become the best versions of themselves. Right. Because once work's gone and, and uh, careers are, are gone, we're still going to have ourselves to look in the mirror. And there are so many people out there that are just living below what their potential is. I saw that every single day. Yeah, and, sure. And that that was what I wanted to have my legacy being is to help people become that best version of themselves, to become a better mother, a better father, you know, a better husband, a better wife, a better employee, a better boss. You know, you name it. uh, I wanted to help people become the best version of themselves through goals and personal development. And although it was scary, I I knew that's what I was put on this earth to do. I we've done an episode or two in the past of somebody who walked away from an extremely successful career, and that's you. And they went to go pursue something that they really loved, and they're far happier now. But I often think about that conversation when you come home for the first time and you tell your family, I'm about to leave what has been an exceptionally successful job for the last 25 years. I'm about to step away from it and go do something brand new. And I can't help but think how this conversation went over with your family 
when you came home and had that first call? What did that sound like? Yeah, I think they were more scared than I was. Uh, and, and maybe <laughs> like, are you crazy, man? Exactly. Why would anybody in their right mind do this? Yeah, I mean, I think kids were thinking, okay, how am I going to how am I going to get get through college? And who's going to pay for that when all this uh -huh. stuff fails? So I mean, I think I think they went towards that. And, and they asked some, you know, really good questions about, you know, what I was going to do to to pro provide for the family and keep us in the lifestyle that we were used to living. And, yeah. and after I explained kind of how I had that handled. Uh, I think they relaxed a little bit more. And you know what? Uh, I, I'm blessed to have a family that supports me 100% in everything that wow. I do. I You're think. right. You know, yeah. they've seen they've seen me work. They, they know uh, that I'm going to put 110% into whatever I do. And, uh -huh. you know, I, I've got that grit where I'm just not going to fail. So I think I think my family understands me and knows me and, and pretty much, uh, just says, okay, if, if he's going to do it, he's going to succeed at it. Yeah, honestly, to be able to have a family that backs you like that, it it makes all the difference in the world. But when you've been bringing home the checks, the commission checks on a billion dollars worth of real estate deals, that's a scary proposition to walk away from that. And I really think, to just dwell on this for a second, there are some people that are listening right now that are in this dead-end job. Yeah, they're making plenty of money, but they hate it every day. And they would love to walk away, but they're thinking, I just got too many bills. I have too many responsibilities. I got too much on the line to leave what I've been doing and good at for a long time to go do something that I would know I would love to do. So for just a second, Nelson, be quick about this, but can you tell them, is it worth it to leave what you know to go do something that you don't know, but you think you might love and thrive in? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, at least you're in the arena, right? Like you, you don't want to get to the end of your life and think, man, if if I would have only taken that chance. Oh, yeah. Because man. when we get to the end of our lives, we're, we're probably not going to regret too many things that we did. I think most of the regret will be the things that we didn't do. And man, I'm writing that down. Hold yeah. on. I just need to write that down. And and if you look at some of the businesses that were started that are household names today, what you'll realize is a lot of those businesses got started after somebody got fired or somebody got sick right. and had to quit their nine to five steady job and they were forced into it. And, you know, that may not happen to you, but, you know, I, I think you've got to be cautious about it and make sure that, uh, you know, you, you have a plan that's realistic and, and that it can work. And, and maybe it's not, you know, ripping the bandaid off and just going in and telling your boss you quit and, and not having any safety. <laughs> with no idea where the money's coming from right. next week. Right. Yeah. So, so, I mean, a lot of stuff that I did with these businesses, I was doing commercial real estate at the same time. So it wasn't like I just said, okay, yeah. I'm going to quit my brokerage job to start a business or start, you know, developing myself. I kept that job and, and just kind of steered some resources towards some of the things that I wanted to do. Right. Well, you juggled pet parks. You had a trample, a series of trampoline parks. You helped with children's playgrounds or, you know, you did a little bit of ch children's learning centers. So you do have like a versatility, but I'm glad you're telling people, listen, it's worth it 
to take the courageous step and walk away. Just don't do it without a plan because that's insane, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, especially if you've got people depending on you and and things like that. I mean, just just do it smart, but do it. I mean, don't yeah. don't not do anything. Like uh, we all have so much time that uh, we're, we're not using efficiently enough. If it if it's a matter of you know what, instead of binge watching Netflix, you know, this weekend, I'm going to get online and I'm going to watch some YouTube videos yeah. on how to do this or how to do that or do some research or make a few calls to some, you know, old college or high school friends that maybe are in the industry that you want to get into. Like, just start like that and you'll be amazed. Like, you know, the universe rewards doers and all we have to do sometimes is just get out there and do and, and show up. Uh, as opposed to letting fear just kind of paralyze us and, and being stuck in the same exact spot because that'll happen before you know it. I mean, you know, I, I'm in my 50s now, which uh, just blows me away. But, uh, you know, a lot of people think they're going to do something and then all of a sudden they wake up and they're in their 50s or their 60s yeah. and they and never, never move forward it. with their dreams. And yeah. that that's the biggest crime uh, in the universe is just not, you know, moving forward with what you know you're you're placed on this earth to do and, and fulfilling those goals and dreams that you yeah. have. That is the, the tragedy right there. Not that you tried something and it failed, but that you never tried it. Now you're late in life and it's almost too late and the time to try it passed you by. If you're listening right now and you're thinking, man, I would really love to pursue something different. There's a lot of great advice you're hearing from a guy who has been very successful. Nelson, you're in your 50s, but when you're in your 40s in Las Vegas, everybody recognized just how talented, just how successful you are. I mean, you are one of those top 40 guys and gals under 40 in Las Vegas, which is a pretty elite club of very talented people. Yeah. Yeah. I was fortunate enough to, to be recognized for some of the things that, that, that I was doing. I mean, the, the, those were things that I, I never dreamt that I would ever be able to accomplish. And, 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 you know, people would recognize me, you know, for, for doing uh, the things that I did. Uh, it, it's humbling, you know, uh, to, to win those awards and, and do that. But it's it's satisfying to to know that, you know, people recognize your hard work and are, are willing to, yeah. uh, you know, give you a, an award for that. There must have been a few people along the way that helped you, you know, make this transition out of real estate and to becoming an entrepreneur. Is there one or two of them that you can kind of think about just mentioned by first name? Yeah, I mean, my brother-in-law Austin, uh, uh -huh. you know, he he was with he worked with me in real estate, and then when it came time to uh, start the pet resorts, he he helped me run those while I was still right. out there doing a bunch of other things. So I definitely have him to thank. Uh, he did all, you know all the heavy lifting with with yeah. the pet resorts, uh, you know, and then my wife, you know, Sky. Like I couldn't do any of this without her support. I mean, you guys have heard some of the things that I've done. I mean, imagine going home to your wife and saying, oh, yeah, you know what? I'm going to start a, a, a doggy daycare. 
uh-huh. you know, and, and, and her being okay with it. Or I'm going to sell that, rocks. Yeah. I'm going to be the yeah, best rock rocks. salesman on the planet. Yep. Or, or, you know, 10 years ago telling them you're going to start a trampoline park and, yeah. you know, a, a, a 50,000 square foot trampoline park. And, and then you're going to start another one. And so, yeah, I mean, my wife was very supportive with the crazy ideas and, and was always there for me, you know, yeah. no matter which way they went, you know, some, some did awesome. Some didn't do as well, but you know, she was there just the same. Well, way to go, Austin. Thanks for that investment in Nelson. And I want to ask you a question or two about sky in just a second, but um, obviously that one-on-one piece, it makes a huge difference in people's lives. Um, Nelson, we have a sponsor, it's called go, go ministries. And one of the, key parts of why they exist and what they try to do is partner people up one-on-one. They call it mentoring and it's always done one-on-one and it is very powerful. So for just a second, I want to introduce you to Will, the guy who leads Go Ministries and this, and just tell you a little bit more about um, what they do. Will, take it away, will you? Hi, my name is Will Parton. I'm the president of Go Ministries. Go Ministries empowers local leaders to make disciples. Over the past 30 years, I've seen our ministry go from one family, one church, and one school to over 300 local leaders making disciples in 150 different communities through church planting, sports, and medical. And we're getting ready to expand into other countries. The way that we define a disciple-making culture is when mentorship, mission, and multiplication are present. When there's that one-on-one mentorship between two people that are sharing the gospel, we believe that discipleship is taking place. And then when a group of people are gathering together and they're on mission together, serving their community that surrounds them, that's another part of discipleship. And then lastly, you can't be a disciple or disciple maker if multiplication isn't the final goal. So would you please join us in our disciple making movement and our disciple making culture by going to gomen.org. Hey, you have this incredible story. And I think most of the people that are listening right now who heard your success are like, this guy has it all. And if you're not careful, you're going to think that Austin, I mean, that Nelson had like the perfect upbringing. He was set up for success. But the real reason you're on this show is not because of the billion dollars of real estate deals. It's not the very successful companies that you started. It's where you came from. Um, in fact, when I heard this part of your story, I was like, this cannot be true. Like, there's no way that this guy comes from this background. So I want you to tell people how you came from the, and I'm going to quote your book title right now, The Unlucky Sperm Club. Tell everybody about the way that you were conceived and born and how that impacted the way that you were raised. Sure. Yeah, I I definitely have a very unique origin story. So my mom became pregnant with me when she was 15 years old. And while she was pregnant with me, her father, who was a local trash collector in a small town, drove into the town square. He spotted two police officers standing on the corner He stuck a gun out the window and opened fire on those police officers, killing one and critically wounding another. And eventually my grandfather was captured and brought to stand trial for what he had done. He was facing the death penalty. Um, During his trial, my mom got up and testified to the jury that the reason that my grandfather had shot and killed that police officer 
was that that police officer had raped her and she was now pregnant wow. his baby who was me and um, my mom's testimony worked the first trial ended in a hung jury however uh, during the second trial the state did take the death penalty off the table because of my mom's testimony yeah. uh, my grandfather was sentenced to life in prison without the possibility of parole where he eventually spent uh, the rest of his life more than 40 years behind bars leaving behind in this small uh, town. Uh, you know, my mom, the re you know, she was one of 15 children and is. Oh, my now. goodness. Man. And now Wait a second. Uh, let me pause for just yeah. a second. You your mother was living in a small town when this happened and your father or your grandfather, her father has just pulled a gun and fired on the man who raped her as a 15 year old as a police officer which means everybody in town knows your origin, origin story. There's nobody around that doesn't know where Nelson comes from. Yeah, yeah, that's that was my mom's testimony. And uh, there's a lot of twists and turns in, in, in my story. Uh, I don't want to give it all away. It's, it's in my book, and, and it's definitely a, a good read. But, uh, yeah, my mom testified to that. So, I mean, I don't know if any of you guys are in a small town, but... When you're in a small town, everybody knows. Everybody this. knows everything. Yeah. But this right here goes through town like lightning. Oh, yeah. This was the biggest thing that ever happened in this small town. I mean, even the New York Times uh, wrote a story on what my grandfather had done in my wow. testimony. So, yeah. So I was forced to grow up in this small town. You know, I'm, uh, you know first of all, I'm born to a 15-year-old. Uh, and then, you know. Uh, and whose father is now in jail, right? So she's, yeah. she doesn't have her father around to support her. Yeah, absolutely. So, I mean, my, my mom, my mom's a, the real hero of this story. I mean, as tough as my life was, you know, her life, her life was even tougher. Uh, but if, yeah, we need to have an episode of your mother yeah, because absolutely. I'm thinking any other woman would have seriously considered aborting her son. Absolutely. Um, and your mother decides to keep a baby, which is a reminder of being molested by the very person that's supposed to protect her. Yeah. Um, wow. What a courageous lady. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah, no, no worries. But, you know, eventually, you know, my mom ends up meeting a man uh, in a bar uh, who becomes my stepfather. And at first I'm happy. My mom's happy. You know, I have sure. these visions of, uh, you know, having a father son relationship, but uh -huh. it, almost as quickly as he moves in, he kind of unpacks all of his bad habits and, uh, come to find out that he's an alcoholic and he's very physically and emotionally abusive to me and my mom almost oh, on a daily basis. And, uh, my mom and stepdad quickly have four children in quick succession, one year apart. And because of the lifestyle, wow. yeah, because of the lifestyle that they're living, uh, a lot of the basic needs fall upon me as the, the oldest from diaper changing to bottle feeding to even wake really? up at, you know, two in the morning to put crying babies back. To Man, you know, my, my mom is, is here. She's, she's a young mother with five small children and because, you know, life is so hard, she'd rather me stay home and help her with the babies instead of go to school. And school was never a big priority in her family or, or uh -huh. our family. And because I, I'm doing horrible in school, uh, I, I, I'd rather just stay home anyhow. So I do that. And then one day I, you know, in the fourth grade, I head to school and 
you know how excited you are in elementary school, the last yeah, day of school. You, sure. you want to look at your report card and see, okay, who am I going to have in the fifth grade or any of my buddies going to be in there with me? And I remember that last day of fourth grade looking down at my report card and uh, seeing straight Fs and, oh, man. And, and realizing that, you know what, not only, uh, you know, what, did I have straight Fs, but I wasn't moving on to the fifth grade. They had, they had flunked. They held you back. Yeah, they held me back. Yeah. And, it, and it shouldn't have come to any surprise. I mean, I probably missed 60 days of school that year. Um, and, and, and at this time in my life, I can't read, I can't write, I can't spell. So You know how to change your, your brother or your yeah. sister's diapers, but you can't read and you can't write. A absolutely. And, and, and then the next year uh, in, in fourth grade, I, they placed me into special ed to get the help that I need. Oh, which is the curse for anybody who's trying to live a normal yeah. existence in school. So I'm in special ed and, and come to find out I have dyslexia. So, uh, you know, that, that was a lot of the reason why I had trouble reading uh -huh. and writing and, and, and doing things. But my life kind of goes that way for, you know, a, a little bit. And then one day, you know, my stepfather is walking home drunk from a, from a bar. We never had a car. So he's walking home drunk, but there's somebody else who's driving home drunk from that bar and they end up hitting and killing him. And what? Uh, here, here's my mom. As hard as our life was with my stepfather in our lives, here's my mom, a young mom, five small children, my, uh, you know, four of them under the age of five. Oh, my goodness. That woman has been through so much. And, and she, no matter how she tries to look at the situation, there's no way that she can figure out how she's going to care for us kids on her own. I mean, she's dropped out of school in the eighth grade. She's never right. worked outside of the home and she's beside herself. And uh, a few days after the funeral, you know, my mom comes home and she cleans up the house. It, it's spotless, which was, was not typically the case. She cooks this wonderful meal, you know, with everything and, you know, we're dirt poor, like no food in the refrigerator uh -huh. poor, you know, the lights, it's a crap shoot, whether or not the lights right. turn on because, you know, of lack of payment, but she cooks this incredible meal and, and dessert. And, and then she takes all of us kids up to bed and kind of tucks us in with a kiss and tells us how much she loves us. And I remember laying there in bed thinking, you know what, this is the way life is going to be from here on out. My stepfather wouldn't allow my mom to yeah, act like this. Right. And I remember trying not to fall asleep in bed, wanting this day never to Just end. wanted to hang on to that moment, yeah, right? Was, How old were you? Uh, I was about nine. Uh-huh. So, yeah, it was the best day of my life. But eventually I fell asleep. And then I'm woken up by screams coming from downstairs. And the first thing I remember thinking is my stepfather's not dead. He came back because... That's uh -huh. when I typically got woke up was when my mom and stepdad were fighting. But I go uh -huh. downstairs and kind of peek around the corner and I see our neighbor lady there and my mom's on the floor unconscious, you know, unresponsive. And come to find out my mom had uh, attempted suicide. Uh -huh. And, um, you know, fortunately, she wasn't successful in the suicide attempt. But when she got out of the hospital, it was at that time that she determined she wasn't yeah, going to be able to care it, right? for all of us kids. And that's when my family got split up. And then I went to go live with my uh, grandmother, who who was the wife of the man who shot and killed the police officer. Yeah. But, uh, you know, and my, my grandma had 15 kids at this time in her life. There were a few of her kids living 
in, in this small three bedroom house. But there was also, uh, you know, seven or eight of my other cousins that she was raising for whatever. Wow. Uh, but for the first time in my life, I didn't have to worry about somebody coming home drunk and beating me or beating yeah. my mom. You know, there was always food in the house. The lights always turned on. I didn't have a bed. I slept on the floor next to my grand's bed on a sleeping bag. And next to me was a girl cousin, you know, on a mattress. And then other kids scattered across couches and love seats and floors and all that. But for the first time, I was like, I wasn't afraid to close my eyes or come home or anything like that. So, and, and my gram, you know, she didn't really value education super high. But, uh-huh. but her one thing was you were going to school unless there was blood coming out of your eyes and your ears, you're going to yeah. school. You don't have to learn, but you're going to go. Yeah, exactly. And that, that was probably her only chance to ever have any kind of peace right. of quiet, yeah. you know, having 15 kids of her own and raising another 10 or so. So I started to go to school on a regular basis. And what I what I realized was I wasn't stupid. You know, if I would go to yeah. school and, right. and and pay attention, I quickly realized like I could follow along, you know, I wasn't missing two or three days of school a, a week. I was there. And and then one day a counselor came from the local university and they talked about what it would take to go to college. And for- okay. What grade are you in? I, I got to know where did the courage to even apply for college come from? given all that you've been through at home and at school, yeah. what grade were you in when this counselor shows up? It was, it was about seventh grade. Uh, I'm, I'm, you know, and, and, and for whatever reason, I don't know, but I thought, man, if I could get a college degree, the rest of my life would be perfect. And, you know, keep in mind, I'm in special ed at this time. I still can't read, can't write, can't spell of the family that my mom came from of those 15 children, only two had ever graduated high school. None had ever even wow. attended college. And you you know you know what it's like whenever you tell yourself you're going to do something hard. Yeah. And I remember yeah. thinking, yeah, Nelson, go to college and and but and then that voice in the back of my head just started screaming at me, Nelson, what are you thinking, man? There's a hundred reasons why yeah. you're not going to get into college, let alone finish college. A- absolutely, yeah, sure. And I remember thinking, man, you're in special ed. You can't read. You can't write. You can't spell. No one in your family's ever yeah. gone to college. Everything in your childhood yeah. is stacked against you. Everything. Yeah. And but you know what? I knew where I was headed. I knew where I was going to end up. I didn't want to end up there. So I had nothing to lose. So I just started, you know, that next day doing the things that I thought would get me to college. And, you know, flash forward, um, you know, uh, it. You know, I was a pretty good athlete, and because of that, I, you know, I, I did well in football and track and those sorts of things. But I had one, I had one uh, college that wanted me to come and play football for them, and because of that, they were willing to massage those admission nice. requirements. And when I'm talking massage, I'm talking like deep tissue massage. <laughs> you know? But yeah, I got in and uh, became the first person in my family to go to college, and. Uh, you know, uh, as it is with a lot of uh, big goals, you hit some roadblocks. And I remember yeah. Oh, yeah. the summer of that first year uh, getting a letter in the mail from the college letting letting me know that I owed three or four thousand dollars to the school before I could return to go to college. 
And I'm living with my gram, 10 other kids in there. My gram makes $4,800 a year on social security. Wow. So there's no 11 mouths to feed. Right. So the, there's no way I'm going to be able to go back to school. But fortunately, my buddy was going into the Air Force and he told me about the GI Bill. And that kind of answered two questions yeah. for me. One, how I was going to pay for school, but it also gave me a ticket to get out of that small town where, you know, my last name and me, you know, represented so much. Right. And so I, I ended up joining the Air Force. And I remember being on that airplane, first time ever on an airplane and looking out the window and thinking to myself, Nelson, you can be anything you want to be now because nobody yeah. knows who you are. Nobody knows what your last name means or who your family is. And it was such a liberating uh, experience for me. Wow. Uh, the power of what you just said. So you're on this airplane and I know countless thousands and I'm not exaggerating with this number, thousands of guys and gals that have gone to the military to escape their childhood, to escape their their um, home, their upbringing. It's their only way out. If I don't do this, I'm going to end up dead from abuse or I'm going to end up, you know, dead from a drug overdose in the ditch. Yeah. And they get on that airplane just like you did, but they didn't have every single person in town knowing that they are the product of a teenage mother that was raped by a police officer. And you are the child that resulted from that. Like for you, this isn't just escaping your childhood um, and all of the, the stigma that went along with it. This is literally your last and only hope, right? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, if I didn't, if I didn't get out of there and get into the Air Force, you know, I would end. Who knows where I would have ended right. up? You know, yeah. I, I, I don't. That that's the one thing that scares me to death is if I didn't, yeah, move forward with that goal, where I would have ended wow. up, and what what I know now, what I would have sacrificed. I would have sacrificed the oh, life yeah. I'm living right now. Yeah. Um, thank God for your gram that made you go to school, whether you wanted to or not. Yeah. Um, but thank God for the green to gold program. I know what that is, but very few people that are listening right now know that that is. C can you just describe a little bit of what that school, what that offered you to, to be able to go to school um, and the U.S. Air Force pick up the expenses or a lot of the expenses? What, what did you call it? Uh, did you call it the green? Oh, you said the, G the GI Bill or yeah. the green to gold? GI Bill. Oh, so the GI Bill. Explain that to people that are not familiar with what that is. Yeah, so the GI Bill, like you have the opportunity to place a hundred bucks a month into the GI Bill, and then yep. after that, they they essentially will put a thousand dollars a month for the. I think it was the rest of the time I was in there, but yeah. essentially when I got out of the Air Force, I had a, an account that I could draw on to pay for school and to pay for mm -hmm. books and. And those sorts of things. So uh, once I got out, I had that ability to pay for school, and and uh, you know I got out of college debt free, which was yeah. huge as well. Holy smokes! You couldn't finish the next semester until you paid a huge sum of money that you didn't have. Um, I'll explain the GI Bill for those of you who are not living in the United States. It originally started right after World War II, and all of those guys and gals that served overseas, the government wanted to make it possible for them to go to college. So you pay us a little bit of money, and like Nelson just described, like one-tenth of the amount of money that you pay, 
we're going to multiply that by 10 and we're going to give that money to the school. It doesn't go to you, but if you want to go to school, we'll give that money to pay your tuition, your books. The GI Bill has paid millions, literally millions of college educations since the 1940s in the United States. And like you, Nelson, I finished a degree debt-free because the government paid for it or I paid for it out of my pocket because there wasn't one penny coming from my family to put me through school. And the G- and it was the GI Bill. I wiped that joker out putting myself through school and wouldn't have the education I have today if it wasn't for that money that the, the government matched. Well, not matched, but multiplied when I was in uh, a soldier in the U.S. Army. Yeah. Um, what did you do while you're in the Air Force and how long did you serve? I served for four years and I was on the flight line. Uh, I was uh, I worked on uh, jet airplanes doing avionics navigation. Wow. Yeah. All of a sudden, this guy's pretty smart. If we're going to let him turn wrenches and screwdrivers in a jet engine um, of the, the most technical aircraft to flying on the planet. Yeah. Um, yeah. Where did you spend most of your time? I already know the answer to this. Yeah, I was in uh, Clovis, New Mexico. Uh, that was really my only uh, permanent stationed uh, yeah. base. So standing on the flight line in New Mexico gets a little bit hot when you're in the summer months. And that's just perfect training for washing windows in Las Vegas um, when you're putting your way through, you know, you're making your way through school. Right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it was Clovis was not the the I think uh, I don't know if this is official or not, but I think it was voted the worst base Air Force. Base <laughs> it was voted by the people that were there right, anyway. Right. But yeah. you know, the plane I worked on, it was the only base that it was at. So uh-huh. that kind of helped. Like I didn't have any other options. And and again, I always had what I wanted to do. I had that end goal in mind. Yeah. So again, doing the Air Force was a, was a means to the end. I mean, it taught me so much. Oh, man, absolutely. It, it, I, I'm so glad that I did it. You know, I was happy to serve my country. I was fortunate enough to go overseas and and serve in Saudi Arabia and serve in Mm -hmm. Turkey. So I I got to see some of the world as well. Uh, But yeah, it it was an end to the means. I I knew I didn't want to stay in the Air Force. I knew I wanted to get out and use the GI Bill and and get my college degree. Um, Like I do with everybody, even from other countries who have served in the military, I want to say thank you. Thank you for the contributions you make to freedom um, and for our nation. Thanks for serving our country, buddy. Thank you. You spent a little bit of time in Turkey. So I'm guessing that was Interlick Turkey that you passed through a time or two. It was, yeah. Turkey's been in the news lately. A couple of months ago, earthquake that just devastated uh, uh, parts of Turkey and Pakistan and killed more than 50,000 people. This is totally off script, but man, give me your thoughts about what happened over there and having been a, a, a very few people get a chance to go to Turkey. So tell me your thoughts on the earthquake and the, the destruction. Yeah, I mean, it's 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 horrible to, to know what those people are. I mean, life is hard enough over there. Uh, yeah. And then you throw something like, a, you know, an earthquake on the scale that it was and it's it's heart wrenching and, and my heart goes out to those people and. My prayers and and I yeah. am, am hoping that uh, that they can recover from that and and get back to some sense of normalcy soon. Do you and your family still live in Las Vegas? We do. 
Okay, so I'd like to hear a little bit more about Sky. I want your, you to introduce the listeners to your children and kind of just talk a little bit about your family for a minute, will you? Yeah, uh, so I've been married for 20, over 27 years now. Congrats, man. Yeah. Good for you. Uh, it, it, it's, uh, you know, and, and I think I think people look at that and they think, oh, 27 years, it must have been easy. Uh, you know, when I talk Anybody about, who's been married would say, no way, yeah. nothing about marriage is easy. Right. And, and, and I talk about, yeah, in my book, The Unlucky Sperm Club, I really open up the curtains because... I remember looking at people who I perceived as successful and thinking that everything was easy and and that it, it just happened uh, for them. And when I was writing this book, I wanted to show people that, you know, even if somebody looks successful, they've they go through trials, they have tribulations, you know, they yeah. have setbacks. And that's what I wanted to do with this book. And and it was the same thing for me and Sky. I mean, uh, I didn't know how to be married. I didn't have the right father figure. The right of course family. you didn't. Right. And, uh, you know, so I struggled early in our marriage, uh, how to treat, you know, my wife and how to treat my kids, yeah. how to talk to them and, and those sorts of things. And because of that, you know, we, we struggled to the point where we separated at one time uh-huh. uh, for a few months. And uh, fortunately, we were able to to work it out and, and, and recover from, from that. But yeah, uh, marriage was hard early on, especially, you know, you're trying to raise three rambunctious boys. Uh, you know, I have three boys. Hence the trampoline parks, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Uh, um, as I'll just pull the curtains back for the listeners a little bit. Now that you've said that, if you're going to be totally honest, I'm going to be totally honest, Nelson. Um, I started this episode and I wanted the listeners to hear just how incredibly successful you are because I was convinced at some point they're watching you on YouTube and they're like, this guy had it all handed to him because nobody is that good by being a self-made man. And then when they start to hear, wait a second, your birth, your grandfather's murder charges, your mother's attempted suicide, living with your grandmother, and I heard it, but many people that were listening may have missed it. You basically grew up with no positive male influence in your life. The fact that you're able to make a marriage last for 27 years is incredible. Being a dad under those circumstances without having that example growing up, man, the deck is really stacked against you. Yeah. And and you know, I, I talk about this in my book, but I, I didn't really have that that. I didn't really know who I wanted to be or, or where I wanted to go. But because of my childhood, I knew what I didn't want to do. I knew where I didn't want to end up. Sure. And I just started, you know, making choices that I felt would get me far away from what I didn't want as yeah. opposed to having, you know, those positive role models where you're like, Hey, yeah. I want to end up where that guy is. I was trying to not end up where my stepfather was. Oh man. To be the yeah. type of dad and the type of husband that he was. And so I just tried to make those types of choices, you know, where I knew I was never going to I was never going to hit a hit a woman yeah. and uh you know do those sorts of things. Right. And, uh but yeah, sometimes you don't have that positive role model. Sometimes you just have to make choices to get away from what you don't want to do as opposed to knowing exactly what you do want. Right. Yeah. In my life, God has placed some amazing people that I could really look up to. In fact, a lot of amazing people. 
and they've been a very positive influence on me. But without a doubt, the most powerful influence are the people that I've been around that I've decided or the people that I've worked for that I made the decision. I will never do what they did. I will never lead the way that they lead or act the way that they acted. And those lessons have stuck with me a lifetime uh, because those painful lessons are usually some of the most powerful lessons. The, the positive ones are awesome. And I want everybody to have lots of positive role models in your life. But let's just be honest. You can learn a lot from the really painful, the really terrible uh, lessons that you had to go through in life. And few people have had more uh, the deck stacked against them more than you have, Nelson. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's the case with just about everything in life. You you learn a lot more through failure than you do success. Yeah, sure. Through the, it's the painful lessons yeah. that, that, you, that last the longest. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, so I got to know this. You raised three children in Sin City. And for those of you who don't know Vegas's reputation, it really is Sin City. So for a guy who didn't have a father, grandfather in your life, tell me how that worked when you were trying to raise children, sons in Sin City, because that's about as hard as it's going to get right there, man. Yeah. You, you know what? I, 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 you know, one of my favorite you know, quotes is things only have the meaning you're willing to give them. I mean, you, you get to write. This okay. Story, I'm writing right? that one down right now yeah. too, man. You're full of these quotes today. You, you get to, you get to give everything meaning in your life. So a lot of people think, man, it's gotta be hard to raise a family in, in Las Vegas and being surrounded by all that stuff. And yeah, it could be, but, but at the same time, you know what? It gave me the opportunity to have a lot of teaching moments with my boys I yep. bet you did. Yep. When, when we drove by a, a, a billboard sign that <laughs> right. had a half naked lady on uh -huh. it, it gave me that opportunity to talk talk to them about that and 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 the our our values and our standards and why we have those values and standards and how they were going to help them in the long run in their lives. So we had a lot of those conversations uh, because we lived in Las Vegas. We got to see a lot of of, uh, you know, things that didn't work out very well for people. Yeah. And I got to teach my boys that. And because of that, um, you know, I, I think they were able to stay away from a lot of those things. Oh, that man. Maybe yeah. you weren't exposed to. Maybe you want to experiment with them because you, you never had that conversation. But we've had those conversations. They they don't need to experiment with that stuff because they know how it, it, it right. works out. Yeah. How are they doing now? Um, your sons are, do you get a chance to see them a lot? Are they doing well? Yeah. Yeah. They all live. So my, my oldest is uh, 25. He just had his third anniversary yesterday. All oh, right. Nice. And, and they are expecting their first child in August. You're going to be a granddad. Be a granddad. So, uh, uh, so they're, they're doing that. And then I have a son who is, um, he's up at, uh, Utah tech university. He's on a baseball uh -huh. scholarship, uh, playing, playing division one baseball and, wow. and loving it. And then I have a 17 year old who's a junior in high school and he's also a baseball player and straight a student and, uh, and wanting to uh, become an attorney. So, wow. You and Sky are about to be empty nesters pretty soon is what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, I, we were looking forward to it, you know, a couple of years ago. And now as it gets closer, we're like, what the heck are we going to do? <laughs> what are we going to do with ourselves? Right. We're going to drive each other nuts. Right. So 
Hey, I was just thinking, um, as you're raising your sons in Las Vegas, Sin City, there is a lot of sin and a lot of temptation around, but what a powerful opportunity it is for you to shape their values and help mold them into men of character, especially when they hear daddy's story and his upbringing and how daddy was brought into this world. Like you have the extreme example of what happens when you don't honor a woman and what happens when you just let your passions, you know, uh, get the best of you. Like it just occurred to me, you can have that conversation and man, that is a very, very powerful teaching moment. Well, you know what? Nobody knew that story in Las Vegas. The only person who knew it was my wife. Really? Until I started, I was going to write. Until you started on the book? Yeah, because I was running from that. Uh, I I didn't want. Well, sure. I mean, anybody who's gone through what you went through, you don't want anybody in the world to know it. Exactly. So, I mean, before I got married, I felt obligated to tell, you know, my wife, Sky, because she deserved to know like she was right. We were going to get married. I wanted her to kind of know. There's a there's a lot about your medical history, a lot about your family yeah. that you don't know the answers to. And yeah. she's about to get married. To yeah. Them. So I've, I told her, but I never told my in-laws. I never told my friends. I never told my my boys. And, you know, my boys were just like blown away. Wow. And I started writing this book and then and then kind of came out and told them, you know, the whole situation. And they were just, you know, I, I think, you know, I've, I've got a great relationship with my boys that, you know, I uh-huh. feel like they respect me. But I think after that, um, you know, my boys, I think, looked at me and it looked at you different. Light. Right. And, uh, you know, and, and the joke is, you know, they were I was born in the unlucky sperm club and they were they born were. in the lucky sperm club. So, uh, yeah, it, it it was it was very interesting to kind of tell them that at an older age for, for them to describe wow. kind of where I came from. I bet that was very moving for them. I bet your sons will never forget that conversation. I'm glad you said it this way because most of the listeners, almost all of the listeners, if they were really honest after hearing your story, would say, I, I really was born in the lucky sperm club. Yeah. Um, man, I want people to hear more about how to get in touch with you. But I have been so amazed at the way that you tell this story. Um, that I want the listeners to hear. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to challenge everybody that's listening, go out and get a copy of Nelson's book. In fact, we're going to give away a copy of Nelson's book this week to one of the listeners. All you got to do to get it is just simply go to Unbeatable Army and we'll give away a digital copy. I want people to hear this story. But if they want to know more about you personally or if they want to learn more um, how do they find out more, Nelson? Yeah, they can go to nelsontressler.com and uh, all of uh, my information's there. Uh, or, yeah, read the book. You can you can get, get the book anywhere books are sold. Amazon's probably. I was probably, just going to ask you that question. You beat me to it. Yeah, sure. Amazon's probably the easiest. Uh, uh-huh. If you like listening to books like I do, it's also on Audible. So you can yeah. download it and, and listen to it. And we're going to put links to his book. We're going to put links to his website on the notes to this page. If you're driving, you don't have to try to write down where what he just said and get in a car accident. Just pull up the notes uh, when you get stopped. Um, but Nelson, you've got an incredible story. And I don't mean your birth, but what you were able to overcome. You really are unbeatable, man. And I hope a lot of people were really motivated by listening to all that you've overcome. 
and the man that you are today. Thanks for being on this episode with me. Appreciate it, Jeff. Thanks for having me. Wow. Nelson said it during this episode. Things only have the meaning and the value that you and I give them. And if he can raise a family of young men of character in an environment like they grew up, if he can overcome the obstacles that he faced at birth and as a young child, man, if he can make it, anybody can make it as long as you stay with it and don't quit. I want to tell you, thank you for joining me. I hope you were challenged. I actually hope for some of you who are considering stepping away from a dead-end job and going to live your dream or at least giving it a try, this was the episode that causes you to put a plan in place and start to make some progress in that direction. If you found this episode for the first time and you really like what you're hearing, why don't you go ahead and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. If you're not already doing it, why don't you go ahead and follow us on social media. But for somebody today, we're going to give you a digital copy of Nelson's book. We're going to be, we'll give it away to you totally free. All you got to do to get this copy of the book is just simply show up to the unbeatable army. The unbeatable army is our list of fans and people that are connected with this podcast, not just during the episode, but they stay connected around or during the week. And in order to become part of the Unbeatable Army, all you got to do is go to unbeatablearmy.com. Some of the greatest people on the planet are listening to this podcast. They're following us online. And I'll prove it to you. Our fan of the week this week is Tim McKinstry. Tim, thanks for listening all the way from Northern Ireland, mate. It is awesome to have you tuned in and regularly following this podcast on social media. Hey, if you want to know more about Tim, all you got to do is go over to Instagram and look him up at Kiwi Comanche. Tim, you're amazing. And for everybody else who's listening to this podcast, thanks for tuning in this week. I'll be right back here with another incredible guest next week. God bless.